Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. The Word of God. And turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 2. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 2. We are on the downhill slide of our series of the book of Judges. And we were introduced on Wednesday night to Miss Hannah. Hannah, of course, is going to be the mother of Samuel. And we watched as God answered her prayer, the impossible prayer. You see, there is a God up in heaven who does hear and answer prayers. And now as Hannah has given birth to Samuel and she has raised Samuel until he has been weaned, she now brings young Mr. Samuel to the temple to be presented to give him and his entire life to the Lord. For the rest of his life, he is to serve the Lord, spend time with the Lord. And now we pick it up. And we're going to examine young Mr. Samuel as he's growing up in the temple with the family of Eli. And we pick it up in the book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 2. 1 Samuel chapter number 2 and notice with me in verse number 1. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. For there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceaseth. So that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifted up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces out of the heaven. He shall thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom was with the people... Uh, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came and while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand... 
And he struck it into the pan or the kettle and the cauldron or the pot. And all the flesh hook brought up did the priest take for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, then take as much as thy soul desire, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou wilt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young men were very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she had come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew up before the Lord. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons had done to Israel, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man so sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when thy, they were in Egypt and Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar and to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves with the chiefest of all the offerings? Of Israel, my people, wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me for them that honor me will I honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house that there will be shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, and all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. 
And the man of thine whom I shall not cut off from mine altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart. And all the increase of thy house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hopni and Phineas, And one day they shall die both of them. And I will raise up a faithful priest. That shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and for a morsel of bread. And shall say, put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a name of God that we find early in this chapter? In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 2, notice if you don't mind the name of God in 1 Samuel, chapter 2, and verse number 3, the name of God, the God of knowledge. The God of knowledge. And if you like the Hebrew word that goes along with it, it is El Diot. L Diot, so it's E L space D E and then an apostrophe O T. So E L space D E apostrophe O T L Diot, which means the God of knowledge. And with this passage as we examine Samuel and and uh, Eli's kids, we also see above and beyond that the God of knowledge. The God of knowledge. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who truly loves us so much. A God who sees where we came from. You see where we're going. You see where we're at now. You see it all. And Lord, I'm asking that as we seek you and as we learn from you from your word, that we would, as we learn more about you, that we would respond to you properly. That we would behold you high, holy, and lifted up. That we would see and reverence you as we ought. Lord, again, I have no trust in my own self, my, my frame, my weakness, my mind. I give that all to you right now. And I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. And that once again, you would get your own work accomplished, Lord, through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The God of knowledge. You know, I love studying the names of God, and I love learning about God. When you know someone's name, you know something about them. For example, if I was to say my wife's name, there's a feeling and emotion that goes along with it because I associate her name with certain things. Well, when you know the various names of God, you learn more about him with each and every name. Now, as an introduction, the idea of the God of knowledge shows of God's omniscience or omniscience. Uh, the word omni means all. The word niscience or science up there, omni, omniscience, omniscience. This word science of it, so omniscience, all knowledge. God is an all-knowing God. He sees the end from beginning. He knows everything. Maybe if you don't mind, let's just take a quick uh, couple minutes and examine a couple passages that tells us about God's knowledge, how much God knows. Turn with me, first of all, hold your finger here. We're turning back to 1 Samuel. This is just introduction. I want to show you that God is the God of knowledge. 1 Kings chapter number 8. 
1 Kings chapter number 8. And I want to show you some of the things that God knows with his knowledge. God is the God who is omniscient. He knows everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. He knows everything. Notice with me 1 Kings chapter number 8. And notice with me in verse number 39. 1 Kings number, uh, chapter 8 verse 39. The Bible says this. Then hear thou in heaven uh, thy dwelling place and forgive and do. And give every man according to his ways whose heart thou knowest. For thou even thou knowest the hearts of the children of men. Do you understand that God knows your heart? Which is pretty amazing because the book of Jeremiah says your heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, there's sometimes you don't even know your own heart. Sometimes you don't know where these feelings come from. You don't understand what's going on. There may be some things triggering it. But do you know that God knows your heart? He knows everything about it. That's an encouraging and a frightening thing at the same time. He knows everything about you. He knows your he knows what what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. He knows the emotional turmoil. He also knows the deep recesses of your heart, that wickedness, the thoughts that you wouldn't even utter out loud to your wife, to your spouse, to your friend, to your best friend. He knows that. He knows your heart. What else does God know? What else about God's omniscience? Turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 139. God knows so much in the Bible. I'm just giving you a quick survey of a couple things. Psalm 139. But God is an all-knowing God. He knows everything about you. Notice with me, Psalm 139. Psalm 139 in verse number 2, it says, Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. And verse number 2, it says, You know when I da- sit down. You know when I stand up. You know everywhere I go. But more than that, He knows your thoughts. He even knows your far-off thoughts. What is the far-off thought? The thought that pops in your head, and you don't know where it came from. It just popped in your head. God knows it, and he knows where it came from. God knows every single thing you think. Again, that's an encouraging thing, and it's a frightening thing. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts. You know, that is a pretty knowing God. The thoughts that you keep secret that you say no one else knows about, God knows about. He knows about it all. What else do we know about this God of knowledge? Notice with me Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. It tells us something else about God, the God of knowledge. What about God's knowledge? How expansive is God's knowledge? How much does he really know? Isaiah 40, notice with me in verse number 13. Isaiah 40, verse 13. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and whom instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. Here it's giving rhetorical questions, but here's the word picture. Who is the guy that put God, put his arm around God and said, 
Let me walk with you and let me teach you some things. Let me tell you about this. Who is it that put their arm around God and said, let me teach you how to do this and about this. Let me teach you some things about here. Nobody did. Nobody taught God. Nobody had to correct God or to instruct him or to to expand his knowledge on a subject. God knows everything. Nobody taught God because he is God. He already knows everything. He cannot be taught. Now, that's a trustworthy God. You know, sometimes we make decisions and we don't have all the information. And the decisions we make end up being wrong from time to time because we don't have all the information. Do you know that God always has all the information? He knows everything. He can make an informed decision because he knows it. That's a comforting thing. God sees more than we do. He knows everything. There is nothing that catches God by surprise. In fact, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God didn't get a brand new idea when he knows everything. He knows everything. What else do we know about God? Since we're in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 and verse 9, it says this about God. Isaiah 42 verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. The new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. You know what God's saying? He says, I know all of history. I can tell you what's going to happen before it happens because I see what's going to happen. You understand that God knows all of history. He just doesn't know everything to know right now. He sees the whole world at the same time. Do you realize that the same time as that he's watching you and I in this service, he's watching the children of Israel cross the Red Sea. We know that God is just not omniscient. He is omnipresent. That just doesn't mean he's everywhere at once. He's every time at once. Because he's every time at once, he knows everything. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows it all. And he could declare it to you. Do you understand that God, because he has so much knowledge, he can guide you where you're supposed to go tomorrow because he knows what's ahead? And if we listen to him, he can guide us to avoid trouble, to stay away from things. If we just listen to him, God knows everything, even the future. That is a God you can trust because he knows what's going to happen. We don't. We're in the dark. We don't know what's ahead. But he does. And he's a trustworthy God. Notice something else. Go to the New Testament. The gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 10. The gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 10. What else does God know? What, how vast is God's knowledge? How personal is God's knowledge? Matthew chapter number 10. Jesus is giving comfort. and He's talking about the sparrows and the farthing that God watches them and he makes sure they're fed. In the midst of this, in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 10 and verse 30, God says this, but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. What he means by that is he doesn't know just how many hairs you have on your head. But if you're going to pluck one out, some of you don't want to pluck any more out. But if you were to pluck one out, he could tell you that this is number 1,469. He just doesn't know how many hairs you have. Each of your hairs are numbered. He knows them all. Now, some of you got lots of hair. Can you imagine trying to count all the hairs? Someone could say, as a kid, I want to count all your gray hairs. 
Then after a while, they say, can I count all the black hairs? Those ones will be a lot less to count. You know, after a while. But God knows all of them. You know that God knows you that personal. He knows that much about you. All of your hairs are numbered. When we talk about the God of knowledge, he knows everything about everything. And he knows everything about you. He knows things about you that you don't even know. He knows everything. Notice, if you don't mind, one last thing. We just did a quick survey of this. We're going to go back to to 1 Samuel in just a second. But one last pit stop. Romans chapter 11. You see, we have a God who truly knows everything. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 11. God is a God of knowledge. He knows everything. Romans 11 and verse 33. Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Do you understand that God has so, knowledge is so unsearchable? You can never know as much as God does. You know, there's some people that think they know everything, but you realize you don't even know half of everything. You don't know a quarter of everything. But God knows it all. How unsearchable of his riches. Do you know that God is qualified to make decisions? God is qualified to guide us because he knows everything. And we can search in God's riches and we should. But his ways are past founding out. Do you know that you can never find out everything about God? You need to make a lifelong pursuit of trying to find out as much about Jesus as you possibly can. But there'll never be a place where you finally say, I know everything about Jesus. Think about that. His ways are past finding out. His knowledge, it's unsearchable. But we are to we're to know him the best we can to learn more about him each and every day to know more about him. So when we talk about the God of knowledge, we're talking about God's omniscience. We're talking about how God knows everything and he knows you and he knows everything about you, your heart, your thoughts, your hairs. He knows everything about you with that in mind. Let's take the God of knowledge And let's look as he's looking at two families. He's looking at the family of Elkanah. And he's looking at the family of Eli. And he's looking at Elkanah's child, Samuel. And he's looking at Eli's kids, Hopni and Phinehas. And let's look, if you don't mind, as God looks at these two families and see what God sees. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to 1 Samuel chapter number 2. 1 Samuel in chapter number 2. As we approach 1 Samuel chapter 2, again, Hannah has finally come back to the, to the tabernacle and she has presented uh, Samuel back to Eli and says, I'm giving my son to the Lord. I want him to come and spend the rest of his life serving the Lord. You take him. Now, remember, she's giving him to the Lord and not Eli. Why? Because God can be trusted. Man cannot. And Eli is not a good father. And we're going to see that in here in a bit. Do you understand that with God's grace, that God can raise up a child to serve him, even out of the most horrible of families? 
because God is that good of a God. He knows everything. He is an amazing God. Look with me. As Hannah is starting out, she starts to praise God. Verses 1 through 10 is her praise, her prayer. Man, she's so excited. Remember, she wanted for years. All she wanted was a child. I want a child. I want a child. Finally, she went down to the altar and prayed and said, God, give me a child. Give me a child. I'll give him back to you. And God answered her prayer. And she got a child. And now when she's giving her son to the Lord, she's not crying and boo-hooing. She's saying, what a great God. You knew this was going to happen. You knew that I'm giving you this child. I'm glad to do it because you're the God of knowledge. You're the God who knows everything. Here I was fretting and I was worrying, but you already had this all set up. And you already had it in mind. You already had it planned out. Oh, what a great God. And she praises God. And she explains and and tells about how great of a God she is. We're going to come back to this. But the first thing we see here is Hannah's praise. Verses 1 through 10. It talks about her lifting up that praise to God. She's giving up this prayer. If you don't mind, let's go to the second thing I'd like to show you in this passage. Not only Hannah's praise, but Eli's sons and Samuel. Eli's sons and Samuel. So we have these two families that are serving together in the same place. But we can see they went two different directions. And throughout this passage, they keep crisscrossing. We keep watching them as the attention is they here and then over here, over here and then over here. And they keep bouncing back and forth, looking and comparing these these two uh, families together. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, starting in verse 11. And Elkanah went to Ramah in his house, and the child that Samuel did minister, remember that word minister means serve, unto the Lord before Eli the priest. So Samuel said, all right, I'm supposed to be here. Now he's five years old, five, six years old. He's given over there, and he starts serving. That's his job. Even as a young child, you know, even children can serve God. And so he says, I'm here to serve. And he begins to serve. He serves the Lord under the authority of Eli the priest. Now the attention's on Samuel. Now it flips over to Eli's sons. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Remember that word Belial is a false god. You might even say sons of the devil. And notice this, their characteristic, they knew not the Lord. Eli is the high priest and his own kids didn't know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. They had never put their trust in God in the promises that he had made to them. But yet they're serving in the temple, in the tabernacle. And they're serving as a leadership role, which shouldn't have happened, not if they're not believers. And because they're not believers, they're directing the whole thing wrong. Verse number 13. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came. And when the flesh was in seething with a fish hook with three teeth in his hand, that he struck it to the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And all the flesh hook was brought up to the priest for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all of Israel the same that came thither. So what was originally to happen according to Levitical law is that the people were to come and they were to offer their sacrifice to the Lord and they would do an exam- the priest would do an examination then they would burn the the animal towards the Lord and then any leftover parts was to be given to the priest well a custom began to come up where as they were boiling some of the parts and they were preparing the sacrifice that what would happen is that the priest would send their servant and take like a big uh, a serving fork, you know, those big forks with uh, three prongs. And basically, in the midst of their 
sacrifice, while they're sacrificing, they're supposed to be uh, watching as the burnt offering goes up to God. What they would do is just, in the midst of it, take a big hunk of meat and say, this is ours, we'll see you later, in the midst of their praying. It's almost like if we were to do something like the Lord's Supper. And um, while someone is, uh, while we're offering it, someone comes by and just takes uh, someone else's juice and someone else's bread and says, this is for me, thank you. Just in the midst of it, you know, just in the middle where they're supposed to be worshiping God, they take it, no, no, this is mine, Uh, I'll see you later. Now, this was already the custom. It had already been uh, warped out of control. Now, Eli's sons, they take it further. Notice what happens. Verse number 15. And also before they burnt the fat, the fat was supposed to be burnt to the Lord. And also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, or he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said to him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, then take as much as thy soul desire, then he would answer him, nay, but thou will give it to me now. And if not, I'll take it by force. So what was supposed to happen is that the people were supposed to offer the sacrifice and then anything left over was to be given to the priest to eat. Now, the priest said, we don't want to wait. So as they're opening up the uh, sacrifice, as they're preparing it, the priest would say, you know what? We don't like the way things were doing before. Give us our cut now. Remember, we're always supposed to give God his part first. Always give it his first. But they said, we don't want to wait on God. We want our part now. So here, give us a good hunk of meat now, and we'll go on our way. And the guy says, I'm here to offer sacrifices to God. You know, it's almost like someone's praying, all right? And they're they're worshiping God. I'm giving examples. And in the midst of the prayer, the guy says, get up, hey, give me some money. I'm praying. No, I want it now. Give it to me now or I'm going to beat you up. Now, if you came to church and we wanted to sing songs or pray, and then someone came in and started robbing us every time you came in and you couldn't do anything about it, wouldn't you want, not want to come to church anymore? Wouldn't that be a problem? Wouldn't that be a big deal? Well, remember, for the Jewish people, they didn't have any other where to go. In order for them to worship correctly, they had to go to the tabernacle. They couldn't go church hopping. They couldn't go find... This is the only place they could go. So notice what happens. Verse number 17. Wherefore the sin of the young men were very great before the Lord, and men abhorred. That means they hate it. Just deeply the offering of the Lord. People hate it to go to the tabernacle to offer sacrifices. Because they were going to get bullied. They were going to be threatened. Their worship of God was interrupted. This was a big deal. And by the way, the head priest, Eli, who's in charge of it all, did nothing. Now, let's say that we had an assistant to the pastor here. And the assistant to the pastor... Every time you try to do something, he would bug you. I mean, bother you. You know, when you started collecting, uh, let's say that we're collecting the offering. And as we're collecting the offering, he starts putting money in his pocket. And he doesn't. He says, hey, you say anything, you're going to be in trouble. Wouldn't you want me to do something about it, being the pastor? Wouldn't you want me to correct it? Wouldn't you want me to do something? You know, these people kept going to Eli and said, you know what these guys are doing? And he did nothing. That makes it worse. Nothing's being done about it. Something's evil. Something's wrong. By the way, it wasn't just the people that were upset about this. God's watching the whole thing. And he's not happy with it. 
And you know what? More than he's not happy with the two boys, he's displeased with leadership because they're letting it happen. And God is upset. And it's not just getting swept under the rug. God sees exactly what's going on. Now notice as we flip back. So we look at these sons. Now let's go back to Samuel. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a lint in ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him year after year when she came with her husband to do the yearling sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee the seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went their way home. And the Lord visited Hannah, so she conceived, and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So here's Samuel. Samuel is such a blessing that even at five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, he keeps growing. And as he's being a blessing, uh, he's blessing the priest. He's being a blessing to everyone around him. He's serving. He's doing what he's supposed to. It's one of those children that's very pleasant to be around. Man, you be around him and you just feel good about the Lord. And you want to serve more about God. And, and, and it stirs you up. And every year his mother Hannah came and brought him a coat. And he's been such a blessing that even this awful priest, <laughs> Eli... Says, you know, your son's been such a blessing. I want to pray for you that you have more kids. Because he's been such a blessing. I want you to be rewarded. And she ended up having more kids. And God blessed her for it. Remember, she didn't have any kids. Now she's having all these kids. And it was because this boy here was a blessing. Now notice how God describes it. Verse 21, the last phrase. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. That word before carries the idea in the face of, in the presence of. So here's this child Samuel who's growing up before the Lord. Means he's growing up in favor. He's growing up in the face. He's growing up in the presence of the Lord. He's growing closer with God. He's developing a relationship with God. So here's... Eli's sons who are not saved, who are making people miserable. Now you have Samuel who's making people feel good about the Lord. And he's doing what he's supposed to. And he's being a great blessing. Praise the Lord for that testimony. But we could see that as Eli's sons are getting wickeder and wickeder. It's making Samuel shine brighter and brighter and brighter. Notice as the attention goes back to Eli's kids. Verse number 21, uh, verse 22. And Eli was very old and heard that his sons did all to Israel, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, just when you didn't think these boys can get even worse. Now, when ladies would come in, they would actually put proposals to them. And say, if you want to worship God, you need to go spend time with me and we'll just leave it there. But that's evil. That's wicked to use their position to seduce women and to get their way. That is horrible and that's wicked. Now, Eli hasn't said anything from now and that was Eli's fault. But now enough people are complaining. Now, that is something to complain about. This is awful stuff. Notice verse 23. And he, Eli, said to them, his sons, why do you such things? For I hear of your evil doings by the people. He says, I heard what you guys are doing. Why do you do this? 
Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear that you make the Lord's people to to transgress. If one man sins against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Now, Eli went up to him and said, guys, you're doing wrong. Now, he's not even correcting them about what they're doing in the tabernacle. He's doing this about the ladies. He's saying, don't do this. And they're like, whatever. You ever have a teenager do that? Whatever. Roll their eyes. Whatever. I don't care. And Eli's like, they're going to, God's going to kill you. What are you going to do? You got to stand before God. Whatever. And they went their way. Now, Eli should have corrected him way before this, and this wouldn't have happened. But he let it go. And by the way, he should have right then fired them from their jobs. He was in charge. But all he did was use words. He didn't correct them. He didn't do anything other than, don't do that. Many of you raising children understand there are times that your kids need more than words. If you just try to correct them with words, sometimes it's not enough. And that's what we see here. Remember, God is watching the entire thing. What happens now? So we come to uh, Hannah's praise. She takes time to praise God. We see the sons of Eli and the sons of Samuel. Notice as we get one last transition back to Samuel really quick. Verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on... And was in favor both with the Lord and with men. That word favor carries the idea that, that they were pleased with him. That as Samuel grew in, grew up, God was pleased with him. By the way, we should always seek to please the Lord first, then men. If you are right with God, you will be right with men. As Samuel's just trying to please God, he's also being a blessing to men. Meanwhile, these other guys, I don't care what God says. I don't care what men says. People don't like to be around them. They're bullies. They're horrible. People are sinning. It is awful. But the bright spot is Samuel. He's still a young man right now. And he's being a great blessing to others. Which brings us to the last thing. Or not the last thing. But the third thing I want to show you here. Is God's message to Eli. God's message to Eli. So. The high priest is not listening to God. The high priest's sons are not listening to God. So God has to send a preacher to go rebuke the old Eli and tell him God's not happy with this. Notice as we see God's message to Eli. Verse 27. And there came a man of God, that's a preacher, came to Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear to the house of thy father when thy were in Egypt and the Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer him upon my altar and to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Now God says, now listen here. Eli, didn't I pull Aaron? Didn't I choose him to be the high priest? And didn't I say that everyone from Aaron's lineage, that it's going to be passed on to be the high priest? And I didn't I have a plan for you and a use for you? Didn't I tell you that I was going to feed you and I was going to take care of you? Verse number 29. Wherefore, kick at my sacrifice. Man, that's some strong language. God says, you know what? You kick at my sacrifice. 
Can you imagine someone getting so mad at God that they take one of these offering plates with money in it and just kick it across the auditorium? Wouldn't that be horrible? That's what God says. You kick it, my sacrifice. And at my offering, which I've commanded in my habitation. God said, by the way, this is my house, not your house. And you want to go kick around my furniture, my stuff. You want to mess up my things and how I told you to do it. Man, if someone goes to your house and kicks around stuff, doesn't that aggravate you? God's upset. He says, and honorest, notice this phrase, and honorest thy sons above me. To make yourselves fat with the chiefest of the offerings of the children of my people. Now, you say, what Eli yelled at his kids. Do you understand that he had a choice? Do I love God more than my kids? And because he did not correct his kids, but I don't want my kids to hate me, so I'm not going to spank them. Well, then you love your kids more than God. Well, I, 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 I'm afraid that my kid won't be my friend no more. God didn't want you to be their friend. He wants you to be their parent. You understand there's a difference. Now, you want your kids to like you, but you understand your job is to parent them, not be friends with them. Now, if you can be friends with them, that's a bonus. That's, what, that's great. That's good fellowship. But you've got to be the parent. And God tells Eli, you've loved your kids more than me. But, but I yelled at them, but it didn't do anything. You didn't discipline them. You didn't change their behavior. You didn't fix things. You, didn't, you chose your kids over me. And now your relationship with me is ruined and your relationship with your kids are ruined. Good job. God's upset. He's upset. Notice what he does. Verse number 30. Wherefore, the Lord of God of Israel had said, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith it shall be far from me for them that honor me will I honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Before the days come, behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and thine arm of thy father's house and there shall not be an old man in thy house what god is telling him in this passage is that eli your line was supposed to be the high priest and i chose you but now this is garbage i mean i'm done with you so what i'm going to do is i'm going to switch the high priest line still out of the family of aaron but i'm going to switch it to a different family we're going to see this crossed off in david's time with abathar the priest and it switches over to zadok the priest which is a different family. God is going to stop the Eli line and he's going to switch it to another family in Israel. This is a promise that's given that's going to be fulfilled in David's day. It's going to happen. By the way, God sees it all. He's telling you, I, this is not a suggestion. This is not what may happen. This is what's going to happen. I'm done with it, you guys. I'm done. God has to be pretty upset to do that, don't you think? He's up, He's mad. You say, God doesn't get mad. Oh, yeah, he does. You ever think that how much we test God's limits sometimes with our spoiltness and our selfishness and our pride and our disobedience? He's, 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 he's upset. Notice this. And um, <laughs> verse number, uh, let's fast forward it. Verse number, he talks about that he's going to cut him off. And verse number 34, and this shall be a sign unto thee. That thou shall, that shall come upon the two sons. So God is saying, just to prove that what I say is going to happen, let me tell you a sign. That your two boys, Hopni and Phineas, in one day, 
They shall die, both of them. God says, just to prove you that I'm going to cut your line off and I'm going to switch it over, your two boys are going to die in the same day. Just to prove that I'm right. And I will raise up a faithful priest that will do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk with me before my anointed forever. And he goes on and says that what's going to happen to your line's going to be begging. Please let me do something for the Lord. Let me do something. And no, no, I don't trust you. You no. God's pretty mad here. Now, again, the whole time we see that God is the God of all knowledge. He sees everything that's happening with Eli's boys. He's watching everything that's happening with Eli and his heart. He knows the motivations of Eli. He knows why he's not correcting him. He's not doing anything about it. God even knows what's going to happen in Eli's future. Now with this, as we have the God of knowledge, let me apply this if you don't mind. How do we apply the idea that God knows everything? Well, turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 1. How should we react? How should we respond knowing that God knows everything? He sees everything. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows how many hairs you have at which hairs they are. He knows everything about you. What should that do for us? How should we respond? Well, first of all, we should respond with security. With security. Notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Samuel 2, 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in my mouth. Or uh, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies. Why? Because I rejoice in thy salvation. Do you understand that because God knows everything, we have security in Him. That means that when you accepted Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, God knew everything that you were going to do, everything you ever did, and everything you're going to do in the future. Do you understand that when God offered you forgiveness full, free, and forever, He knew every time you were going to fail Him, and He still said, I still will save you. You understand that we haven't caught up to the times, and we still fail God. Unfortunately, we fail God every day. But there'll never be a time if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior that God will say, nope, 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 I'm done with you. You're no longer saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we have security? Because God knows everything we're ever going to do. He's forgiven it all. He still accepts us. What a wonderful God. There's a security in that. There, there's a confidence in that, that I am saved. Now, it doesn't give us permission to go do whatever we want. But it gives us a comfort that if we do mess up, that God doesn't wipe his hands and say, I'm done with you. Praise the Lord. We have a security for that. We have security in that salvation. You know, there's a second thing that we we see in this passage here is that we should have a sensitivity. Not only do we have security, but we should have sensitivity. You know, every warning from God is not because it might happen. It's because it will happen. Do you understand that God tells us what's going to happen. And and God can guide us and direct us. Someone said this. It's almost like being in in a raft. Have you ever gone rafting down a river? And going in a canyon. And what will happen in that raft is. That you can't see the people behind you. And you can't see the people before you. You're just in your little space in the stream. Now. If you have a helicopter that's flying overhead. Guess what? 
He can see the people before you. He can see the people after you. He can see where you're at. And if you have good communication, he can guide you and say, hey, you got some rapids. Go to your left. Hey, there's some rocks over there. Turn to your right. And that if you have good communication, he can direct you past where all the stuff is at. Do you understand that God knows everything about the future? And that we can avoid some trouble in our life if, he, if we're sensitive to him. And he says, you know what? Why don't you go over there? Yes, sir. Why don't you stop doing this? Yes, sir. He can guide us to stay away and avoid things in our, in our path. You know, that we should be sensitive to him, knowing that he's the God of the future, and allow him to guide us. We've all made mistakes that we wish that we had a warning that said, don't do that. Well, we did if we were sensitive to God and God could have said, don't do that. And we said, oh, yes, yes, sir. You know, there's plenty of times that God warned us and we avoid, uh, we didn't listen to him and we crashed. Something happened. If we have a sensitivity to the Lord, knowing that God knows everything, he can easily guide us in the path that we should go. He should, can lead us in a plain path, the Bible says. What's the third thing that we get here? Knowing that God is the God of all knowledge, knowing that God knows everything. Not only do we have... Uh, uh, security that God knows and he keeps us. We have a sensitivity. We should have a sensitivity to allow God to direct us. We should have also a solace, a solace. Notice in verse number two, for there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. We have a solace. We have a stabilization because God knows everything. We know that things will work out for our good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose. Do you understand that we can stand on a solid rock? That even though the world around us may seem topsy-turvy, we can have some stabilization. We can have some solace. We can have some comfort. We can have a harbor in the midst of the storm. Because God knows it all and he knows how to protect us. There is a stability for us. Also, if you don't mind, the last thing that we should have that we can apply, not only a security, a sensitivity, a solace, but there should be a sobriety, a sobriety that has an idea of a seriousness. Notice verse number three. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the God is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. There should be a sobriety. Do you understand that God sees everything you do? You might have that little pet sin that you do all by yourself in the dark that you say, no one sees what I'm doing. God sees what you're doing. You may entertain thoughts and say, I don't won't do the action, but I'll entertain the thoughts. And you allow the thoughts to roll in your mind. And you say, it doesn't hurt anybody. God sees those thoughts. There should be a seriousness about our life knowing that God sees everything. There's no far place that you could travel far enough that God cannot see you. There's no place uh, so hidden that God cannot see your thoughts. There should be a seriousness, a sobriety about this knowing that we're going to stand before God one day. And we're going to give an account. The Bible says those things that are said from secrets are going to be broadcast, shouted from the housetops. You understand that one day you're going to give an account. And one day all those thoughts that you had, you're going to say out loud to God. And all your friends and family are going to be there. There's a seriousness about it. That nothing that we do is hidden from God. 
You may think that you're getting away with that thing. That little thing that you're trying to keep and trying to keep hidden. And you beg, please don't let anybody ever know that I'm doing it. God sees. God knows. And one day you're going to stand before him, give an account for that. You see, there's a comfort with knowing that God knows everything. But there's also a fearfulness knowing that God knows everything. But that shouldn't be a fearfulness where we hide from God. It should change our behavior and say, you know what? I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop thinking this. I'm going to stop entertaining this thought. Because God knows everything and I want to be pleasing to Him. You see, we're given the the image of two different sets of children. Eli's sons and Samuel's sons. Eli's son said, we don't care. We're going to do our own thing. You had Samuel, however, who said, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And he grew in favor with God and man. And the reason why he could do that is because he knows there's a God who knows everything. A God who knows everything. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.